What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Ramblin' Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves. I hope y'all are doing all the things you know you ought to do during these times. But today, as you guys know, we like to interview interesting people, or at least people that I find interesting, that I believe can share a lot of knowledge and interesting facts with each and every single one of y'all. So today, I have a special, special guest. The first time I got introduced to this guy was on a YouTube show that I like to call called Millennial Money, and it's on CNBC's Make It YouTube channel. At channel. And uh, they were telling his story. I learned a lot about him from that. I was like, man, this guy's pretty interesting. And then he was on one of my friend's podcast, Tolu from Tolu's Notes. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy has a lot of interesting uh, knowledge to be shared. And then we tried to set something up and it's taken us a little bit of time to get a time scheduled and everything. But finally, 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 I was able to get him on the show. So people, people, please welcome the Black Vito, aka Black Vito from YouTube or Jerome Velasquez onto the show today. Well, Jerome, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Um I'm not sure Jerome Velasquez. I don't know. I'm not sure what that was. But uh, oh, my bad, my bad. I must. Have, I have somebody else's name written down. But I don't know. It where, is Jerome. I know Jerome. it's Jerome, but I don't know where I got Velasquez from. I, I'm actually surprised. A lot of people know me by Jerome. Now I was thinking that most people know me by Black Vito because that's the name of my channel. But a lot of the people who saw the Millennial Money video know me as Jerome. Yeah. That's how you buy. So yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's stuck, I guess. You just kind of found out your name on that, and it was just like, oh, who's this guy, and try to get more. So what was that experience like? I guess we can just start off with that, with that CNBC make it. What was that experience like, being on the show, um, sharing your story, and then what has happened since then? Uh, it Well, being on the show was a dream come true, for real, because I was just thinking like to myself, I always, you always see these type of things. You always see... Mm-hmm. Or like on millennial money or even back in the day before youtube was like a big thing like on tv shows where they were interviewing somebody i'm like how do these people get on these types of shows mm-hmm. and and for me to actually end up being on one that was like kind of like a, a big deal to me so and then also i knew for sure that graham Stephan was going to uh basically do a reaction video so yeah. i was just you know what uh, this is this is going to be fun and it, it was everything it was actually more than what i imagined to be uh, and I expected everyone to kind of hate on me because of my financial situation and some of the, but everyone was very, very positive. So that was a uh, shocking. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is uh, I think people are, the internet can be a very scary place. The internet can be like, you can see people completely bash on somebody for absolutely no reason at all. And I think the interesting thing is though, is it seems to be like if somebody is doing well financially, people tend to bash more on them. But if somebody is uh, trying, uh, is doing the best that they can in a situation, people tend to like, I don't know, people tend to be nicer. But then again, on CNBC, millennial money, they tend to tra- trash everyone. Like anytime I go down in the comments, people are always like going in like, oh, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I'm like, man, people are really, really, really uh, tough on folks. It's like you got to give some kind of some kind of compassion to people i guess but nobody really wants to do that but i'm glad that your experience was really nice but how, so yeah i remember watching the reaction of 
uh, Graham Stephan to that. What was that like? I know he like called you on the phone and was like, hey, I see you on this. Da, 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 da. What was that like? Like, have you guys kept up or was that just like a one time thing? And it was kind of like, that's it. So to your uh, I guess to answer your last question first, we have yeah. kept, kept up a little bit because uh, he does these uh, Zoom meetings where he is like the Graham Stephan mentorship group. And basically oh, okay. kind of gave it to me a lifetime membership. So Every other Thursday, I meet with him, and every other Thursday, I meet with uh, Jack. You know, Jack Selby, yeah, a coworker. Uh, so kind of they alternate days. They used to do it, you know, twice a week. We meet with both of them, but they, you know, Graham got very busy, so he started switching it up. As far as seeing him, like, reach, uh, watch, I knew he was going to react to it. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. I did not expect him to call me that same day that the video released. And I did not expect, uh, I expected him to say, I, I didn't expect him to be as nice as he was to some of the decisions that I've made overall. But so for me, it was, it was really awesome. Like I've met Graham Stephan before that happened. I met, he doesn't remember. I actually asked him about it if he remembered, but in 2018, I met Graham Stephan. I actually have a picture on my Instagram with me and him together, but yeah. And he, um, so he didn't remember that. So it was kind of like, I wonder if he remembered me. I was asking myself that. And I was also saying, even if he doesn't remember me, like, you know, I wonder if he saw me in the comment section sometimes. And like, so he remembered me from the comment section, but he didn't remember meeting me back in back, you know, way, way back when. So that, that was, it was still cool though, because, you know, I always wanted to be on Graham Stephan's, one of Graham Stephan's channel. And I was like, I'm going to be on Graham Stephan's channel one way or another. And it, and it, <laughs> And uh, I wasn't actually physically present with him on his channel, but at the end of the day, it was as close as we could get. And I think he probably would have flew me out maybe, or I would have flown out if it wasn't for the uh, pandemic situation in 2020 when it was released. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. And for everybody who's listening to this and you have no idea who Graham Stephan is, he is a YouTube creator. Actually, I think he's probably the largest finance channel on YouTube. Um, A lot of people who get started with trying to figure out your finances, trying to figure out how to pay off debt, all this stuff. Usually you end up landing on his channel first. Like he's one of the first search results whenever you first start trying to figure out what you're doing with money, investing, all that kind of stuff. His channel is one of the largest ones on YouTube. So um, what, uh, Jerome was featured on there because of a CNBC Make It episode, which was, I mean, watching that video, I'm gonna, I'm not going to lie. Like I was like, Graham Stephan entered into a whole new category for me where it was like, this dude is a lot, a lot nicer and a lot more generous than I thought he him to be or than I expected him to be. And I was like, okay, this is pretty nice. Like he's actually a genuine, um, genuine person, like just a down to earth person. Cause sometimes when you watch some of his videos, he can come off pretty rough on a lot of people. So, but seeing the way he interacted with you and just, it opened up a whole new, uh, ball game, which is one thing that I just wish, or I would like to see more of for a lot of creators is to see another side of them of rather than just the, numbers and all of those kind of things but rather the the more open side of them the more generous side of them the more playful side of them would be something that i definitely would like to learn more about but anyway that's beside the point but yeah so how has it been or what prompted you to even like submit i mean you said you wanted to be on the show but like even no like i know for me like one thing i've always been like super scared with like sharing stuff so it's like how are you comfortable being able to just share numbers especially on YouTube, on Instagram, on everything, and then being on CNBC, make it. How are you comfortable being in that? Uh, being able to share just with 
money, which is one of those things that's kind of a taboo topic to talk about or has been a taboo topic to talk about. But how have you been so comfortable doing that? Um, well, growing up in the family that I grew up in, taboo topics are not I don't want to say they don't exist, but I mean, we would we would talk about everything. You know, my dad would talk about different things. My mom would talk about different yeah. things. I would talk about different things. And, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I was really obsessed with money. So like talking about money was not that big of a deal. So for us, I don't, it was never really a taboo topic. But as far as comfortable, a lot of the things that I reveal about my financial situation, I'm not comfortable. I wasn't comfortable doing. I'm still not comfortable. Like I do net worth updates on my channel uh, every month. And like, I've always, I've always shocked whenever anybody does that. I'm like, y'all got it because <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, I'm not comfortable with that at all. You know what I'm saying? But I, you know, it's important to do things that you're not comfortable with. That's how yeah. I see it. You have to do things that get outside your comfort zone. And the net worth update videos, they tend to do consistently. I mean, they're not always like, a, uh, as they, YouTubers know what I'm talking about when I say this, but it's not always like a one out of one, like yeah. one out of you know, the best. Um, but I would say that, I mean, I meant to say one out of 10, but whatever. So, but even if it's not a one out of 10, it's still usually a pretty well-performing video relative to whatever the last 10 videos I've posted. So that's one of the reasons why I continue to do it. People like to watch it apparently. So that's the only reason why I continue to do it otherwise, but I don't really feel comfortable doing it. I mean, obviously sometimes when your net worth goes up a lot, you know, month, like you go from, you know, 15,000, maybe your net worth increases by like $3,000 in a month and then you now you're at 18,000, something like that. You know, small numbers, like 18,000 is not a, a huge amount of money, but it's still like, that's, oh, my net worth just increased this amount. Yeah, it could be a little bit fun then, but overall, it's still uncomfortable, especially in your personal life. Like online, I don't about well, people online. I mean, the only thing you really have to worry about is people in your personal life and lawyers when mm -hmm. it comes down to some of your financial information. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I've always, uh, I like, so on YouTube, I'm willing to like talk about stocks that I'm buying or anything like that and just talk about it in general. But when it comes down to like, okay, sharing my net worth, sharing like actual like detailed, I'm just like, I can't, I, I've never been comfortable enough to just be like, yeah, let me just share it, like put that stuff out there. So every time I see other people doing that, I'm just like more power to you. Because like you said, I think one of the reasons why people love, just like you said, that it's always does pretty well is I think people love to just see the stories of other people, which is why we watch Millennial Money, which is why we watch any anybody that just documents, I think uh, anybody that just documents their story. We enjoy to see like, okay, how are you going about doing this? How are you solving this problem? How are you going through this situation that you may be dealing with? And that and brings people into the into your into that area of time and makes people want to learn more about it. But also, I think that people, and, you know, maybe this is a little bit more cynical, but I think people just like to see other people's dirty laundry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like to get to see what's going on behind the scenes. Like in my personal life, if you see me, I mean, I look like a homeless person 99%. <laughs> so when I go on YouTube and I'm talking like, oh, uh, well, this is my $50,000 portfolio, whatever the case may be. Like people will like this little homeless looking dude, like, so I think is that's a big part of it. And a lot of people don't talk about their situation. Like you see all these people on Instagram or whatnot going on all these vacations, but I'm like, what is your financial situation? Like, I know some people who they go on all these vacations on social media, but then they got like 
90, like they have like a negative $60,000 net worth or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, I think that those type of things is, is very interesting to people because a lot of people just don't talk about the financial situation. You see their now some, to some degree or not, but you don't really see their financial situation. And I think that, but uh, for as far as what you said, the stocks though, I don't feel comfortable releasing what stocks I own, the individual stocks I own. I don't feel comfortable with that. So it's, it's, it's weird. Like everyone feels comfortable about certain different things. But for me, it's like, I don't, first of all, I don't want to give recommendations of what stocks to buy and sell. Like, I feel like once I get big enough, that will become a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm nobody right now. But, and also I think that some of the stocks that I own are, is small enough to where as though if, if I did get big enough and I talk about, oh, I own this stock. Well, then that they could easily go buy that stock up and then push the price up significantly, which is what might be the opposite of what I want. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a good point uh, on the on the stock side of things of just the idea of like, who, what what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? I, I think that's a that's one thing that I've always like struggled with or I just had a always thought through of like, man, do I really want to be telling people like, OK, this is what I'm buying even though I know, like, even though I put the cop out in there of like, hey, just because I'm buying this doesn't mean that you should buy this as well. Like, do your own research, all that kind of stuff. But and but it still comes down to the same thing of like, mm, you're still recommending things at the end of the day that anybody who watches this video would just be like, go buy it. Like, they're just going to jump into it. But I guess for me, the, the I guess the way that I've kind of processed that information and come to terms with it is just kind of like, well, regardless, there's always going to be some kind of recommendation out there. But my thing is like, I want to at least show the process and the, the thought process of like, hey, this is this is how I start the research. This is what I'm doing with the research. This is all just kind of the thought process that goes into buying any stock, any stock. And nothing is a recommendation. This is just like and sometimes I'll say like, yo, this is my, my fun. I'm just playing around with this because my serious stuff, you guys will never see that. Because this is just uh, this is me just trying to learn. This is kind of a learning thing for me. It's a learning uh, portfolio, and we're going along on this journey just to see how to exactly how to invest, how to do all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's better for you to just invest in index funds anyway. And it's just like, but I, I get you. I definitely agree with you. Of like, it's still there's a hesitancy factor every single time that I'm like, I'm making this video. I hope nobody just like hops into this and just buys whatever it is and just takes it along for them but the recommendation factor is not really even the biggest factor for me i think that the biggest factor for me is people like to give their opinions yeah no matter who you are i don't care what i mean you could be the strongest minded human being on the planet mm -hmm. other people's opinions will influence your behavior That's whether you're and a whole bunch of other opinions, some of which you do not have any way to qualify, meaning you don't have any way to see if they've done the research, If even if they've done the research, are they skilled enough to do good quality research? And if they are skilled enough to do good quality research, did they do good quality research on that specific stock that you've researched and you've bought? And have they done as much research as you have? And, you know, when you're getting thousands or even hundreds or even 40 or 50 comments on a video, those are too many opinions to really, in my opinion, factor in. And I don't think that does you justice because I think after you get a whole bunch of opinions, what you end up with is uh, the average opinion. What is the opinion of the average person? And then you're going to get average results if you get the average opinion. I mean, and I mean, average results are not terrible. That's the reason why most of my, well, 
eventually most of my money will be most of the money that I've invested has been into index funds. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I, I kind of got tripped up there is because technically I have more money in individual stocks than I have in index funds. But that's just because my individual stock portfolio has performed better than my index fund because I've actually invested mm-hmm. more money into index funds significantly yeah. more. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I guess there's also the other part of it, which is kind of like I like to just uh, what is, somebody told me one time. It's, it's always good. Or Charlie Munger likes to say it's good to invert. And I'm always looking for people to kind of argue with me on a position and try to go the opposite way of where I'm thinking. And sometimes I can get good opinions. But like you said, not all opinions is good. And it's how learning how to filter all of it. And it doesn't mean that I always necessarily listen to all of it or take all of that um, feedback back. Most of the time, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, this is fun. And it's always, it's if nothing else, it opens me up to interesting different ways of thinking. But if I've already decided that I'm making an investment, I'm, I tend to be stubborn, which is bad. When it comes to investing, I just end up just being like, yeah, this is this is what I'm doing and whatever happens, happens. But But like you said, it's definitely a good point. Definitely a good point. I think, yeah, listening to other people's opinions are beneficial to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I think that even without talking about the, the stock portfolio, I think that I will probably in the future talk more about stock analysis, like anal- analyzing stocks and whatnot mm-hmm. and giving my opinions on stocks. Yeah. So then that then you can get that benefit of the, having that back and forth dialogue. Yeah. But I don't see myself ever being like, hey, this is the stocks that I own. Mm-hmm. Maybe Graham Stephan never lets me on the iced coffee hour and he asked for my portfolio. Maybe under those very, very unlikely circumstances, I will, <laughs> I will release it. But, uh, but then I don't know, probably not. But speaking of stocks, so what is your philosophy when it comes to investing when it comes to picking stocks when it comes to just or assets in general? Like what are some things? Well, you probably won't say or not. What are some things that you look for or you whenever you're going into an investing mindset? What is how do you go into it or how do you do your research? All right. So a general philosophy when it comes down to investing is typically long term thinking when it comes down to investing. But that doesn't mean I don't do some short term situations sometimes. But generally speaking, long term, when it comes down to stocks, for example, um, one of the big things that people always talk about index funds versus picking stocks. Well, I look at my life in general and I think there's been a lot of things that people told me that you can't do. Like you can't become wealthy or you're going to struggle financially if you don't go to college or you don't get a college degree. Well, I mean, technically I did go to college for like four and a half years, but I, I didn't get a degree. And I think that financially speaking, I'm probably doing Slight, at least average or above, probably almost definitely above average for most 24-year-olds. And that's my age, if you didn't know. So I feel like I've been lied to in society about many different things. And also I've, li- I've been in different situations with human beings where the common consensus has been obviously illogical. So for me, and then also I've had the experience of looking at stocks and thinking this is definitely undervalued. And then that same stock goes up plenty, you know, hundreds and hundreds of percent or 50% or 60% or 30% in a very short period of time. And I'm like, I should have bought that stock. But a part of me is like, oh, well, maybe the market is so efficient that, you know, if there's something that I'm missing. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, but that stock is definitely undervalued. And then I'll, then I'll miss out on that stock because I'm listening to this uh, 
you know, concept that the market is so efficient because human beings are so rational. Well, if you ever had a conversation with human beings, myself included, you'll realize that human beings are not that rational. I mean, (laughs) to me, it's just like, I don't know. And even the smart human beings are not that rational. I mean, I've met plenty of smart human beings. They just get stuck in different ideological uh, ways of thinking and they get anchored into these types of thoughts. If you more you study human psychology, I think the less you're likely to believe that human beings are are even the smart ones are rational. Yeah, I think I always say like it's less about it's less about the the mechanics of investing. It's a lot more about the mentality of investing, Um, because like you like you talked on, there's so many different uh, financial mental mishaps that we can have. Like you mentioned one with anchoring where. Like I said earlier, I can get stubborn because I've made the decision. Therefore, I'm not changing my mind about this decision. Uh, we have loss aversion. We have all these different things that generally we don't act. Ra- we don't we don't always act rationally. I told uh, I listened to uh, a TED talk where the lady that was talking was like, we are not we try to believe ourselves to be rational creatures, but we really are not. We tend to act more on our emotions than we do actual processing information. And the only times we actually process information or the only times we actually not act on our emotions is when we've predetermined the, the direction that we want to go. So if we had taken time to plan something out, that's when we end up being rational to make the right decision for ourselves. But when we don't do that, we just tend to act on whatever is driving us the most at that point in time. So I definitely agree with you of just the mental mindset, because when it comes to investing, especially the less you do, the better you end up doing. And so it's it's a weird, weird way of like telling somebody, it's just like watching a little kid and you tell the little kid, don't move. That's the hardest thing for a kid to do is just to stay still. And it's the same way with us. It's hard for us to, to not do anything when we have all the control when it comes to investing for us to just be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna buy this index fund and do nothing for the rest of the time and just play the long-term game. And it's just, we, we can't do that. We just have to, we feel like we have to do something. So I definitely agree with you of that, that whole thing. So I guess just going back and you talked about just growing up, some of the lies that you've been told, some of the things that you believe that you've now like twisted your mind about. Can you talk a little bit more about some of those things that you recently are in, in your short, I mean, you're only 24. I thought you were like around my age, but you, you young, you're super young. I'm 27. Oh, okay. Um, Three years. But, yeah. A few years younger, but, um, but yeah, so what are some of those things that you realized, I guess, after college or during college that was like, yo, this, this does not seem to align with some of the things that I've been told? Well, one of the things that I just want to run back to real quick is that I do invest in index funds, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that is part of my strategy. I am kind of like sit and wait. But for me, I just my the way I kept going back and forth. Should I just do entirely indexing? Should I do entirely uh, picking stocks? And for me, I just couldn't choose just one i know the logic yeah. behind the market i know the logic behind uh picking stocks and i just couldn't choose just one for me i felt like well if i underperform at least i understood that that was part of the risk i understand that that's the risk mm-hmm. and i'm willing to accept that risk i know that risk i understand that yeah. risk. a lot of, a lot of people don't talk about that risk enough so i do invest a good amount in passive index funds and i think that that helps me sleep at night knowing that look i don't have to think about that a large percentage portfolio is just in passive index funds. That's the correct way to go about doing things. And I just follow that strategy. And that's basically my entire entire retirement fund yeah. is just next one. It's now my non-retirement funds are 
are entirely individual securities. Um, as far as your other question, what was that again? Can you run that by Just me? basically, uh, what are some of the things that you realized were not exactly what people have always told you it is, or some of the lies that you've uncovered in your short uh, time and just and just learning about how the world works, money works, and all those kind of things? So there's two examples that uh, I can give, two examples that one is a little bit, you know, weird, controversial, perhaps. The other one is uh, the one that I already mentioned, but I can go a little bit deeper in detail. So first one is a little bit of a fun story. So I'll start with that one and then probably give a better example afterwards. So I remember one time I was in college. It was my freshman year and I was in a group of these people, diverse, you know, freshmen, men, women. And then there was, you know, the one of the, the one of the dorm leaders or whatever, whatever. And he was an older guy, white guy. That's that that's important for this entire thing. <laughs> and um, so we were it was mostly black people together. And we were talking about this. And I was just saying that, like, you know, we were, I don't know how we got on this subject. I can't remember for the life of me how we got on the subject. But I was saying, like. Something, 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 something. And then, yeah, like, for example, I said black people are technically almost entirely, almost all black people are technically brown. And and that almost like blew everyone's mind into in the room. And I was like, no, black people are black. I'm like, no, no. I said, no, no, no. Technically, though. Yeah. Yes. We're all race. Black. Yes. But technically we are brown. And then people were just like, oh, man, you got to love yourself. You got to stop denying being black, bro. You got to look. I'm like, no. and at this point. Everyone in the room was just like looking at me like I was crazy. Like I just hated being black or something like that. And then I went to the white guy. I was like, all right, so this guy, is, he's a senior. He's, uh, you know, he should be smarter than the average human being because he, he was like a science major or something like that. And I was like, all right, so what do you think? Do you think black people are actually black or do you think they are technically different shades of brown? I mean, you get some black people that are like really, really, really dark and they might but, but do you, and then I asked him that question and he was just like, you want my honest opinion? I was like, yes, I do. I was like, here we go. Someone's about to support my, someone's going to be on my side. And then he was just like, yeah, black people are technically black. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it blew my mind. And here's the thing. My shirt, this is a perfect example. My shirt is black. This is obviously, my skin is obviously not the same color as my shirt. My skin, you're, you're, for example, your hair is not the same color as your, your, your skin, right? Yep. So I said, the one of the examples that I gave, if I said, I said if, my, if I had a Corolla crown and it was the same color as my skin, you would say that that crown is brown. You would not say that it's black. You would say that <laughs> that, crown, that it's the same color as my skin is brown. However, society has taught you that black people are black. And therefore, when it comes down to a human being, you will consider their skin to be actually black, even though it's clearly by any rational human being's way of thinking, brown. But everybody in this room, all of them smart enough to enter into a college, couldn't decide the difference between black and brown. It was, it was like literally in their brain, they were incapable of understanding that. Now, for me, I understand that these people are, I mean, college is not going to get rid of that illogical way of thinking in their heads. You know, it's, it's not going to eliminate that. They just interpret that as me just hating being black. I enjoy being black. It's great. I mean, obviously, there's some problems with it. I've dealt with a lot of racism in my life. But the point is, uh, that wasn't what I was saying. It was just obviously technically true from a pure, in English language, this is the color brown. There's different yeah. shades of color. And then we are that color. 
and black is this color and there's different shades of black perhaps or different darkness of black but i mean some people will say black is not a color it's a shade but i don't like those type of people um though i just, just ignore uh, them just just get yeah, them just, out of here get them out of here <laughs> put them on an island somewhere um, <laughs> So my point is, though, that was a situation where I felt like I was in a room full of people who, in theory, was smart enough to make it to college, uh, but at the, at the same time, wasn't smart enough to understand something as simple as that. And I felt like that taught me that the common opinion in a group can still be completely illogical. You could be the only person in that room that believes something. That does not mean that you're wrong. Mm. Everyone else in the room could be wrong. Because there were obviously, I think any intelligent human being would say that that person was wrong. I mean, well, everyone in that room is wrong because they were saying that black is, our skin is technically black, which makes absolutely no sense from the, if you understand the English language. So, and if you understand, like, if you have, or you're not colorblind or something like that, anyway. So for me, I feel like uh, that was one example. I just, that just showed me like how irrational human beings could really be even if they're so-called intelligent ones, even ones that are about to graduate college can be irrational. And another thing, going moving on to the next part, that's a little bit less, you know, controversial, if you want to call it that. I mean, <laughs> there's probably at least one of your viewers right now saying, yes, black people are technically black. What are you talking about? Uh, and, th- and if you're watching this, I just want to say you're not that bright. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Dang, anyway, this is, I'm joking. This has nothing to do with the rambling mind podcast. So please, if you have any hate to direct, please direct the drag to Bl- black video on YouTube and on all social media platforms. Thank you very much. Bye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I deserve to be dragged, um, but no, as far as a better uh, or a different example is just the, the whole college thing. I, all my life I've been told that I needed college to be wealthy and I just, just doing simple stuff, doing taxes, Uber and Lyft. I was doing door-to-door for a little bit. Like, a lot of the people who I know was doing door-to-door and they were good at it, I was terrible at it. But a lot of people who were doing door-to-door, they were making a good amount of money. They were making the same amount of money that some people make who went to college for years. If you know how to sell, you can make some good amount of money. And if you take that money and you invest it, you buy some real estate, you buy some stocks, you flip it. Well, guess what? You're going to be being wealthier than a lot of other people. But they don't talk about that. They said you need a college degree. And a lot of people might need a college degree for what they want. I'm not hating on a college degree. But I'm saying that there's many different ways to do it. There's yeah. uh, trade schools. Everyone talks about trade schools. Also, there's computer science. A lot of people who don't even need a degree. I mean, a lot of people don't even need a degree to be a computer science uh, you know, f- profession. If you're really, really good at coding computers and coding things, no one's going to say, oh, well, you know, you're the best coder I've ever met on the planet. But you know what? You don't have a degree, so I can't hire you. That doesn't happen. Google hires people who doesn't have a degree, who don't have a degree. So um, to me, I just felt like I've been lied to about that. There's other things that I feel like if I had, you know, higher education is another one. Well, they say, all right, well, maybe you don't need a, a, a degree to be wealthy, but you do need a degree to get a higher education. I've went to three colleges in my life, and I can tell you that from what I've experienced, me personally, I think that I can get a higher education through the through much cheaper means, books, online resources. I mean, the internet is basically the, uh, the library of Alexandria times 20 million. So for me, I just feel like 
all of this ed education is cheaper than it's ever been in the world. I've mean, ever been in history, but college is more expensive than it's ever been in history. That doesn't make any sense to me. So you can get the same information for a fraction of the cost, but college is, you know, you know, super, 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 super high. And it's just like, it, to me, unless you're looking for a job, which I'm not, I mean, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. It all depends. I, I, I think, like you said, it all depends on what your goals are and what you're focused in. For me, I mean, I definitely, I went to college, I went back for my master's and all that kind of stuff. So for me, I knew what I wanted to get out of it. And I'm doing what I wanted to do when I went into college. So like I tell every single person is just know what it is that you're going for. Um, uh, because the, 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 the cost of it is just too high and too great nowadays for you to just kind of go there and just kind of lollygag around for a while because it'll and it costs way too much so there's a lot like you said depends on the skill set that you're going after it depends on the things that you're trying to build it all depends at the end of the day if you want to become a doctor you still got to go to college if you want to become an engineer you still got to go to college for some for some of that i mean even coding you don't have to go to college for all of it but there are some parts of it where like my little brother there's some parts of it where he learned most of what he knows on computer but he still needed some extra uh, push it to go in a certain direction with that. So it just depends on what it is that you want to do. And you just got to figure out the best route to get to where you want to get to. It's no, you can't just, it's no longer like it was in the past where people just kind of went to college, kind of finagled their way around, got lost for a while. And then they're like, ah, this is what I want to, you can't do that anymore. You have to, uh, before you go into it, determine like, okay, this is what I want out of this thing. And then even more importantly, I think for a lot of people who go to college, and I saw this when I was in college, is a lot of people go into college and they just kind of waste it. It's just kind of, the. I mean, one of the beautiful things about college is you get a lot of different experience, but at the same time, you get opportunities as well. And a lot of people end up going to college and just kind of letting that thing run, run away from them and not um, holding onto it as tight as they can possibly do to get where they want it to be. So I definitely agree with you that we just got to like, I mean, I just know too many people also who have succeeded without going to college for me to realize that it's not exactly the be all end all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you on that for sure, for sure. So that's that's one of the biggest things right now that everybody's kind of like, ah, college, bump that noise like <laughs> for a lot of people because it's just kind of like, do I really need this thing? Is it really necessary for me to be successful? And the answer for the most part is probably not for some people, depending on what it is that you want to get out of life and what you want to get out of the future. Uh, but yeah, so one of the things I uh, wanted to ask you about is, so I'm a huge Buffett and Munger fan. I love watching all their stuff. And recently, or not recently, you made a video about basically you disagreed with Buffett and Munger. And basically they're like walking saints. If you disagree with them, everybody gonna come for you. But uh, you made a video about it and I was just like, what exactly is it that uh, Buffett said that kind of rubbed you the wrong way? And it was kind of in light of Robin Hood. And you just kind of, you kind of went off. You were like, I'm not, this is, what? What are you saying right now? And you just kind of went off on him. Well, for me, I just, I felt like, all right, so a lot of the, some of the, or you can say that some of, Robin Hood's business practices are not the best, which I mean, I, I'm having a hard time finding a business that that isn't. I mean, Apple uses slave labor. So, I mean, like, let's not get too righteous here. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like when it comes down to Robin Hood, some of their business practices, like they say that they route the order flow and they call it free. So it's not technically free, but 
you know, they just kind of hide the fee or whatever. And they say that that's a kind of a problem. Okay. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not really day trading or something like that, that's not going to be even that much of your portfolio anyway. But as far as when they said that people are basically Robinhood encourages you to gamble and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But in my, my whole point was just that like Robinhood encourages some people to gamble and encourages some people to invest. And no matter what brokerage that you use, like if people will be gambling just as much on, on other brokerages as it would be on uh, us, uh, you know, Robinhood. It's true. You know, so yeah, yeah may make it easier for you to understand certain things, get the hang of certain things. But I think that Robinhood is a good way to learn. Yes, say for example, me. There was a situation. There's yeah. I, I give two examples. I think I, if I remember correctly, I give two examples in that video. I use Robinhood for uh, you know when Robinhood's options first came out. I did use it kind of in a stupid short-term gambling way, and then I lost money like an idiot. Now you. <laughs> you're an idiot then you either you know if you do something stupid like an idiot rather you you learn from it or you continue to make that same stupid mistake well what i did was i learned from it and i was like all right so i'm not going to use options to do gambling tactics however i did use options in a manner in which made sense like for example there was a stock that i was researching and it was like pretty much guaranteed to go uh, down in price by a certain amount on a certain date. This is called special situation investing. Yeah, there's a great book on it called uh, You Could Be a Stock Market Genius by Joe Greenblatt. He talks about different types of special situation investments. This wasn't exactly one of the types that he was talking about in one of the, the books, but it was a similar uh, sort of thing. Uh, a special situation investment is a special, uh, uh, a corporate event, a special corporate event, if you want to say that, that leads to an investment opportunity. Well, in this particular circumstance, there was a corporate event, which was that I don't want to get too much into it because I'm going to lose train of thought. But there was a special corporate event that led to that stock guaranteed to go down in price. And I used options to bet that the stock would go down in price. And I made like 200 percent on my money in, in, a, in a week. Now, those situations are very, very, very rare. But it was a company that was not earning any money, has never earned any money, it has no revenue, had absolutely no revenue, but it was trading for billions of billions of billions of dollars. And on top of that, it was like, obviously a whole bunch of people were speculating that it was going up. And you know, it was obviously a company that was probably a fraud and it turned out to actually be a fraud. And if you look at the, I mean, if you looked at the annual report, it was obviously a fraud or the perspectives. I don't think they had an annual report at that point. Uh, because they just like IPO'd recently. So that was a situation where like, I, going back to the main point though, uh, so that was a situation where I used options as an intelligent way to invest. And Warren Buffett has used options. Warren Buffett has used margin. If you look at some of his past history in special situation investments, he says in some of his writings that he had used margin in order to kind of boost returns a little bit. But he often talks about how margin is terrible. So I think that there is intelligent ways to use these uh, derivatives, which once again, like I said, he has used derivatives and he has used margin and there's intelligent ways to use margin. And there's also unintelligent ways. If it wasn't for Robinhood, I would have never gotten into investing. And I guess that's part of the reason why I'm passionate about the subject is because I would have never gotten into, I would have never heard of Warren Buffett. When I first started investing, I was using a lot of the things that I was learning about Warren Buffett into my investment strategy. 
Now, I don't use Robinhood anymore for a few different reasons, one of which is they don't have a call center. So if something happened, you're just like, hey, send me these emails. You wait three business days for the reply. No, I don't got time for that. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand where you were coming from. Uh, and also, I understood where you were coming from in the video of just basically it's the argument that I have with most people on like, yeah, Robinhood, definitely they have issues. I'm not even going to trip about that. But at the same time, it holds, like you said, it holds a special place in the fact that it opened up a whole new world to a lot of people to get access to invest in a, a bunch of people who probably would have never gotten access to invest in and especially younger folks. And to me, I'll, if it's a younger person who gets burned, I'm OK with that because they can learn from this. And then in the long run, it's actually going to benefit them because then they know exactly what they're doing in the future. And so, I'm, I mean, but then again, I do also have the thing of like Buffett and Munger. I mean, especially Buffett has like shared so much wisdom of just how to invest over the years and he has put so many people on game. And so that's also like, it's like I say, I usually end up going into the place uh, where it's like, it's not either or it's usually ends up being both. Like you said, you use the Buffett uh, theory, but I just wanted to kind of hear a little bit more about why you made the video and just your um, thought process behind it and some of the things that made you so passionate to actually make a video about that. Cause you've never made a video like that before. And so it was just like, well, this is a, this is a different, different video. Yeah, I, I agree with almost everything Warren Buffett says. I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, you look at his mm -hmm. record a lot. But for me, I feel like it's just one of those things where, like, another thing that I mentioned in the video is their accredited investor rules. Basically, how they try to do make all these laws. And I think Charlie Munger often talks about how it shouldn't be legal to do this and this and that. And I'm just like, they create all these laws to protect us, but let people lose their money. Me losing my money helped me learn it helped me learn you're like all right so i see all these other people gambling in all these meme stocks or whatever you want to call it. and i say like all right yeah i could make money with that but i've done stupid stuff like that before and i've made money doing stuff like that now, i've made a lot of money doing stuff like that i've also lost a lot of money doing stuff like that so for me i felt like uh it was a great learning experience and i mean if robin hood didn't have some of the problems that they had i would still be using robin hood to this day yeah. To me, I think that maybe Robinhood may encourage by certain tactics they use to trade more often. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the individual. And that's how I see it. And maybe that's yeah. a difference between me and them. I think it comes down to the individual. And I think the individual will choose to do what they wanted to do. There, I'm sure there are some people out there using Robinhood to passively index. I know I was doing it for uh, at least with a part of my portfolio with Robinhood when I, back in the day. And... Um, I know there are people who are researching stocks uh, or hard, you know, hard research that are using Robinhood. And I guess that kind of perturbed me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I, to be honest, I have, I have a slight, I don't want people to have ultimate access to all things. Um, I don't think all access all the time is good. In my opinion, even things like accreditation, I think, the reason why I don't think everybody should just have access to every single thing is just, I, I mean, if you look back on, if you look back in history, there's a lot of times where like everybody had access to everything, but then the outcome of it has always been negative on the grand scheme of things for the general public. And it also affects the economy, affects a lot of other things and it spirals out of control. And so I always have a, because human beings, like we've said multiple times, we are irrational. We will gamble away everything if we get the, if we get access to it. So I just think, I mean, I understand. I love Robinhood for making it more easier for most people to get into it. But there's just some things that I don't think 
everyone needs to get into just because it's available to them. But at the same time, uh, should it be truly a free, free market? I don't think we truly want a true free where everything is just opened up because that poses other dangers. I think we do need uh, limitations. We do need regulation. We do need where we just don't have like boom and bust cycles that happen every two weeks or something like that because people are just basically gambling away in the stock market. I just think that's but who was not the healthiest. Huh? Who was gambling the last time? Was it the individual investors? When I mean, was we it? We always have, I mean, on both sides. That's why I think regulation is important. You have individual investors who are going to gamble and you have institutional investors who are going to gamble as well. That's why we need regulation, which that was the problem with like the Arkego scandal because the problem is when a company's stock has issues, the company itself can also have problems because of that stock having issues, even though most of the time that's not directly correlated. But a lot of the times that can end up affecting people's hiring, affecting people's pay, affecting a lot of other things. And so I just think that especially because of how intertwined they are, even though they're not always intertwined, we know that the stock market is always, not always going to reflect the economy because we saw last year when the stock was going up and the economy was in a recession. But at the same time, I just think that there's a there's just that I just there's some dangers in it. We've seen like I remember reading an article about when um, people were really gambling with the whole tulip mania. When that happened, they shut down trading like the government had to shut down trading because it was starting to affect the actual economy because of how people were just being overly exuberant with the thing. So I just think it's it's just a it's like anything else. It's not either or. I think it's both. It's there's a balance that we just have to strike for ourselves and even for just like for the safety of each and every single one of us. Well, for me, then the problem, once again, goes back to the, well, e well I, I'm not a big fan of uh, uh, of the government telling me what to do, but I, I would say that even if I was to kind of give some meat in the middle here, I would say that the standard that they use for, just say, for example, accreditation, like they basically, if you're rich, you you can you can be accredited. Like it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like you could be uh, some stupid rapper or something, you know, a stupid basketball player. You could be as far as financially stupid, like just as dumb as possible, yeah, dumb as a rock when it comes down to finances. But because you make millions of dollars of income, you do that. Now, someone who is not as wealthy as you, who understands it better, can't do it. There's no way to get accredited other than just being super rich. Now, who does that favor? Who does that favor? Now, when it comes down to things like these uh, startup companies, these big old Google things, who can invest in these startup companies? And who can't? Well, I can tell you who can't. Poor people, middle-income people. We can't invest in these startup companies. Only rich people can. So when these rich companies go public, that they've already made billions of dollars. And yes, maybe on average, you know, maybe they get some big losses, some of these like, you know, uh, venture capital funds. But they have, when they have a big win, it's huge win. You know what I'm saying? So... For me, I feel like middle income people and uh, well, middle class people and lower class people, we don't get those things. And I can't help but think that's obviously part of the reason why the wealth gap is increasing because we don't have access to these types of things. And yes, would some people invest their money and would people, some people scam people into doing things like that? Yes. Well, people are doing the same thing with cryptocurrency right now. Yep. Um, so for me, I feel like there's always going to be some way to scam people who are trying to get rich quick. But at the end of the day, I feel like for someone like myself, who has done probably more research and studied more than someone who has a finance degree, who, you know, they might be able to buy these, th they might be able to do certain things with these things. And I have just as much knowledge and education as they do about the subject, but they can do it and I can't just because 
the degree. There's no way I can't take a test to prove that I know it. I can't do anything. I just have to, you know what I'm saying? It just seems like the system is rigged for wealthier people. And you say, oh, well, just go to college and get the degree. And then you'll be able to do all these things. Well, look at that. The problem, college is so expensive. Once again, rigging it for wealthier people. Yeah, I mean, I can... I can feel the angst. I'll just say like usually because I also look at the, I also look at the other side as well, because we can say on a grand scheme, because at, at the end of the day, when it comes to people's money, it's not just like on average. We also have to look at each individual as well. So if we say if we get to the point of just basically saying like, OK, well, they're booming busts. Nobody's going to no, when whenever rich people kind of lose it all. Nobody cares, like for the most part. Nobody's like, oh, well, you made a bad gamble. That's on you. It's kind of like Archegos. If you look at Archegos, everybody's like, why'd you make that deal? That's on you. But when it's just the general public, when it's just an everyday person who is trying to find the next thing or trying to do the next big thing, then then it becomes more of a, it's not just that it affects, it affects the, because there's less, if we look at numbers, there's less, less 1% than 99%. And so 1% losing a bunch of money is like, eh, that's okay, because they're going to make it back in, in the other way. Like you said, they're, the big booms and the big losses that they take, it cancels each other out for the most part. Like they're going to invest in like 10 different businesses. One out of the 10 is what's going to make it most of the time. It's 10% for most of them. And it's going to be major booms. And I do agree with you that if you have some knowledge, you should be able to have access to some of this. I definitely agree with you, which is why I love that SoFi and now Robinhood as well is giving access to IPO stocks. But then again, even then, like I'm still like, mm, because some of them go the opposite way. I've been burned so many times on IPOs. But like, it's just, I, I just... I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to do it. Maybe, probably, but I just think like there's slight dangers in just kind of letting it be a free for all. I look back at like when the gold rush, like it was a free for all, but a lot of people lost their lives. A lot of people lost a lot of stuff. And yes, some people made it big, but we can't forget like most people who didn't as well. So I, I, I don't know. I always factor those two thoughts and always think like, okay, what's the best possible solution i i think that there should be some regulation maybe the government has overreached in some degrees and maybe it's not fair for everybody to have um to not have access to some of this stuff if they put if they show like yo i've put in time i understand a lot of these things this is why i want to go about it so i mean i definitely agree with you to some degree and then on the other side i also see it in, in some other light so but i understand it at the end of the day it, it just it, it's uh it can be it can suck uh at the end of the day i i just uh i i've always had a problem with authority for me so that's probably well i just <laughs> and uh, i just i just know that i mean i was just sitting there looking with the whole robin hood situation and they had that hearing yeah and they were the they were like there were the senators were asking robin hood about certain things asking them questions and to me, I, I just felt like they were trying to be like paternalistic, like they were trying to be our parents. Like, I can't think for myself, like they know better than me. A lot of them, they don't have any knowledge about, I mean, they, they don't have any more knowledge about stocks than perhaps the average person. They're just, they, they're lawyers, they're politicians. And uh, a lot of them not necessarily finance people, you know what I'm saying? I think yeah. we assume that people in the public are just, or wealthy people in general might just be, or well, let me say rich people, are, are smart with money and that is not always the case yeah i guess it's also i mean i definitely agree with you just because you're rich doesn't mean you're smart with money but then 
like you said, when you have money, you get access. At the end of the day, you get access to maybe sometimes better financial money managers and those kind of things. And I guess that's what the what they're always trying to play to. And yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, to a degree, the government will try to be uh, more paternalistic because when issues happen, most of the time, everybody runs to them. It's like, why were you guys sleeping at the helm, right? Like most of the time people are going to be vote. And it's also a voting issue. It's like, people are going to be like, you should have put these things in place to make sure that this doesn't happen. And this doesn't, and it's just, so it's like, it's an L on both sides at the end of the day. So I, People wish to be controlled. That's the reason why I would much rather be work towards being one of the people in power rather than being subject to that power. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely I feel you on that. But man, we've uh we've talked for a little bit now. This has been a very, very fun conversation. Uh, but yeah, Jerome, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I appreciate you coming on here. Any last words to share with the audience about anything, any advice that you'd like to share with everybody before we get up out of here? Um, I don't know. Find your, be yourself, figure out who you are, what you want out of life, and then chase that thing. And don't let other people tell you, oh, well, you can't because you can, and maybe you can't, but at least try to find out for yourself. Because a lot of the times people will tell you you can't do something and you actually can, you know, so go after get up after it, get to work, stop being lazy, get up, you know, work seven days a week, 80 hours a day. I mean, 80 hours a week. And, uh, and if you can find a way to work 80 hours a week, a day rather, then do it. I mean, you might need a time machine or something like that, but I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much once again for coming on the show. I appreciate you coming on here. There was one other thing I was going to do, but we've run out of time, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, so thank you so much for today. Thank you for the time you shared with us. Guys, go check him out. I'm going to leave all links to everything, everything that he's on in the, in the show notes and in the description. So go check him out. Show him some love and all that good stuff. But anyway, that's all we got for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you did, share it with one person that you love, one person that you hate, and one person you're just kind of like meh about. And that at that point, you just shared it with every single person that you know. Once again, thank you all for listening. I'm gonna catch you all up in the next one. Remember, generosity is always greater than greed. God bless each and every single one of y'all. And we're out. Peace.